0: This is place. Uh, Okay, hi everyone. I guess we're just going to start. Um, So uh, very quickly, uh, this session is about, I guess, how to buy other media companies uh, as a media company. So kind of bear with me. Um, I guess our company is the best example use case of this. So for the first 10 minutes, I'm going to very quickly machine gun through our history. uh, Since uh, over the past, I guess, four and a half years, we've done uh, nine different uh, acquisitions. So on average, one every six months. So it will seem like the first few pages are are kind of like, you know, free marketing. We're introducing ourselves. But trust me, when I get to the end, there's a reason for this. So uh, very quickly, uh, we're TNL Media Gene. Um, So we originally started Uh, almost exactly 10 years ago on the very top left side uh, we were the original uh, originally the brand was the news lens it was meant to be uh, starting from taiwan but eventually hopefully greater china most parts of asia uh, to be a large independent digital uh, news brand Um, and gradually over a few years uh, we launched a hong kong edition a southeast asia edition an international english edition and about a year ago we launched our japanese edition Um, what kind of Made our made us pivot about four and a half years ago is when we realized we're about to plateau out as in You know the Taiwan market in itself was a little bit too small um, So we started pivoting to becoming a media group So we started acquiring other smaller media verticals and once our readership hit a certain scale uh, we started acquiring other uh, Martech ad tech or data analytics services to actually monetize uh, the data that we were collecting um, so that's kind of how we went through uh, everything stage by stage. So right now, very, uh, as a big picture, uh, we have about 29 different media brands, of which the super majority are all uh, acquired. Um, we have uh, six offices, three in Taipei, one in Hong Kong, uh, two offices in Tokyo and Kyoto, about 560 people, uh, of which I would say 80% were actually acquired uh, over the past uh, four and a half years. So this is how, I guess, everything fits together now. Um, we have about 50 to 60 million monthly unique readers across four or five different languages. Um, in terms of monetization, even though the original DNA was independent media, um, r- right now it's roughly around one-third is media advertising. So basically, you know, programmatic, banners, campaign. Uh, one-third of it is actually data analytics, AI, uh, SaaS, uh, tech services. And one-third of it is actually e-commerce, uh, uh, agency communications, uh, paid events, paid membership etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. Um, so like I said from the Taiwan perspective uh, we're about 10 years old um, we started with the original newslands independent the idea was no political junk no uh, corporate agenda only newsworthy content as objective or as fair as possible uh, we grew for the first four years and around 2018 we realized we had to pivot so we started doing uh, M&A So uh, as previously mentioned, we've done nine or ten different uh, acquisitions, on average one every six months. The first few acquisitions were other smaller media brands. But starting around 2019, 2020, uh, we started acquiring a big data market research firm, uh, a a mobile ad tech company, an AI CDP company, e-commerce. And about four months ago, we merged with MediaGene. That's why the company is now called TNL MediaGene. MediaGene is one of the largest uh, digital media groups in Japan. So kind of like our... Uh, exact opposite, without the tech and data part. So MediaGene, Uh, It's about 25 years old, Uh, kind of very similar trajectory except again without the uh, tech and data part. They started with one or two different media brands, started diversifying into other different media brands and started launching into communication, agency, e-commerce, paid memberships, uh, events, et cetera, et cetera. So they have about 30 million monthly uniques. We have about 20 to 25 million monthly uniques. Uh, They're all in Japanese. Uh, We have Chinese language, Cantonese, uh, English and Japanese. This is our more famous, I guess, international uh, investors. There's Media, our uh, seed, Series A, Series B. Uh, 500 Startups from Silicon Valley came in during our Series A. Uh, Steve Chen, Kevin Lin came in during Series B and Series C, Uh, and during Series C and Series D. Uh, The managing directors of Amazon Ring, Google Nest. Uh, Draper Associates uh, is the uh, VC fund of Tim Draper, the early investor in Tesla and SpaceX. Um, And on the Japanese side, when we merged with them, uh, uh, their investors uh, naturally became our investors. So DAC Consortium uh, is an investment arm of Hakuhodo. uh, And Isatan, the mall, Shiseido, the cosmetics, and Mizuho Bank are now also on our cap table as well. Um, So combined together, 50 to 60 million monthly uniques, um, that's how we slowly started growing uh, after we started acquiring companies. So at this point over here, it was basically still just one brand. And then gradually, after every acquisition, uh, we started growing, uh, I guess, creating the uh, so called snowball effect. This is how everything now fits together. So, everything on the left side uh, are the uh, 29 different media brands, uh, everything in the middle is the uh, Martech, AdTech, Big Data Market Research, AI, CDP. And everything on the right is the agency, communications, e-commerce, paid events, uh, paid membership. So in terms of revenue breakdown right now, roughly it's one third, one third, one third. Uh, Four years ago, for example, it was 99% on the left side. Uh, Three years ago, maybe 80%. Uh, What we've been trying to do uh, right before or right around COVID is as quickly as possible, diversify, diversify, diversify. So we don't wanna, we want to diversify from one language, from one market, from one media vertical and gradually across different services, different tech, different languages, uh, different countries. So if there's one theme over the past three or four years, it's quickly diversify that way. Whenever there's a COVID, there's a lockdown, you know, your borders are closed, something will go down, but something will go up. And in our experience, that's how you kind of hedge against all the risks of media so just very quickly the original tnl that was the original first brand uh, serious news uh, no political junk no corporate agenda and then we acquired like, one of the largest tech medias in taiwan one of the largest gadget medias in taiwan uh, etc sports media lifestyle uh, movie uh, korean culture uh, this is our youngest uh, finance media Uh, End of last year, we acquired iCook, it's the largest female interest slash food recipe media, but also has a huge e-commerce and paid membership service. Um, So for example, uh, this is the kind of deal that we would do. We originally had very little paid membership, we had no e-commerce, and now that we acquired their team, we're asking asking their team to create e-commerce across the other brands that are suitable for e-commerce. Uh, on the japan side their biggest brands you know gizmodo japan they run uh, lifehacker uh, Rumi, their own brands uh, their flagship brand is business insider japan so right now actually through them we're uh, applying for a business insider global chinese rights so hopefully we'll get that i guess we'll know in a few weeks uh, mashing up digiday etc cetera, etc cetera. um these are the things that we have on the Taiwan side that they don't have on the Japan side. So we have big data market research. Uh, we have the uh, largest mobile ad tech company in Taiwan uh, and DataX is our own C D P firm. Uh, on the Japan side, they have an agency communications firm and we also have an agency communications firm. Um, so very, very similar. Um, just very quick uh, overview of all the different content. Uh, so of course we're all digital native uh so you know infographic more digital storytelling uh more interactive uh content uh podcasts you know videos explanatory videos short form videos uh and different online discussion boards uh major paid events both you know on the japan side and on the taiwan side Um, and this is a, a quick summary of all the different tech and data products so all of this Originally was on the Taiwan side. We spent the last three years being stuck in COVID, uh, basically trying to r and all of these different. We think future monetization products that will allow us to organize, uh, monetize uh, all of the data points that we're now collecting. So, from big data market research to mobile ad tech to AI CDP, the different SaaS platforms. These are the things that we think we have on the uh, Taiwan side. That, that coincidentally, the Japanese side was missing. So, over the past four months we've been sending our tech and data teams uh every few weeks to give them this as fast as possible to allow them to do a faster digital transformation and increase their margins increase their profits so this is uh, what we think are the tech and data synergies so this is how everything basically fits together now um we think the future of digital media more or less has to be 50 uh tech and data company Um, And that's what we've been growing over the past three or four years. So on the left hand side, still 29 different media brands across different topics, different languages. Uh, But that's also a data source for 50 to 60 million zero party data, first party data, third party data. Everything is GDPR and privacy issue compliant um and in the middle is basically all the in-house tech data ai capabilities that we've been trying to build uh, over the past three years so we don't want to give our fate to uh facebook or google we want to keep everything uh in-house and be able to actually control our data fate and on the right side are all of the different diversified data products that we've been trying to build over the past three years so you know ai algorithm engines you know big data tracking market research consultancy etc cetera, etc cetera. so again the theme was Uh, four or five years ago 99% of all of our revenue was here Uh, we want to quickly diversify as much as possible so at some point I would not be surprised if media advertising in two or three years is only 20% uh, of our overall revenue that way again we hedge uh, we diversify we try to keep and protect uh, independent media so um, six offices like I mentioned right now about 560 people it's kind of hinted over here Uh, Now that we have most parts of Greater China and Northeast Asia, our next acquisition target will be Southeast Asia. We're looking at possible targets in, for example, Singapore or Malaysia. We want to, as quickly as possible, finish the the Asia story, the Pan-Asia story. So the pitch is we want to be the largest Pan-Asia, multi-market, multi-language, independent content, tech, data, AI, e-commerce, group of companies. Uh, And hopefully we're going to achieve that in the next one or two years. So that's roughly where we are right now. So to come back, I guess, to the topic at hand, uh, why, first of all, why must we M&A? So uh, going back to the history a little bit, um, so Taiwan is very, very small, You know, population 23 million, uh, heavy internet users about 80% of that, you know, maybe 70 to 80% actually read news You know, regularly. So your regular news uh, audience in Taiwan is about 10, 10-ish million. So by year four, uh, the original independent series news brand hit about 7 million monthly uniques, and you kind of feel like the uh, the growth was actually about to plateau out. So uh, something that makes us, I guess, a, a very, di- a very, very different here is that we took institutional VC money, so-called investor money, very, very early. So we had our seed, we had our series A, series B, uh, as mentioned before. Um, so we always knew uh, in a way that I can never go back to my board or investors and say, oh, you know, we're now the largest independent serious news brand in Taiwan. That's it. We're not going to grow anymore. You know, you kind of have to hit certain growth milestones, certain growth scale uh, every year. Uh, In a way, I'm always joking. The past four and a half years, this has more or less kind of become a a numbers game. Uh, We we can kind of guess what the uh, expected growth rate has to be. And you, have to, you can kind of guess what the end result has to be. And if organic growth is not going to satisfy that, then our only option at the at the very one was uh, was M&A. So. Um, it's, a, it's a classic Asian small market problem. Taiwan in itself is too small. Hong Kong is too small. You know, Singapore is too small. Uh, but if we took institutional VC money very, very early on, then we still have to satisfy you know, uh, return on investment for our investors while still balancing uh, independent media. We're not going to sacrifice the original independent media DNA. So we're not going to force them to create junk content or create page views for the sake of page views. But that being said, we still have to grow a certain, you know, 30% every year. Then how do we balance that? So there, I guess there are two ways. One is to, you know, uh, continue growing outside of your original home market. So internationalize uh, your readership. So we've been doing that. So hence the Hong Kong edition, the Southeast Asia edition, the international English or the Japanese edition. Uh, after looking at those numbers, we realized that, you know, forcing uh, editors to grow 30% every year is not very, very, you know, reliable or not a very good long-term strategy. It's, it's so much you can grow uh, every year then the second idea was okay then maybe it's time to start growing uh, horizontally so if we have serious news then maybe it's time to start growing you know tech news sports news gadget news so that was the original idea so five years ago we were still very very naive about this so uh, five years ago we honestly thought okay then maybe we will create our own tnl sports tnl tech you know, TNL, gadget. So five years ago, if you went to my office, at the very end of the office was an Excel spreadsheet where we did a market research comparable of uh, most parts of greater China or Asia independent media. So for example, there might be 30 different independent media companies uh, in greater China, let's say, you know, across Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore. And let's say, you know, five are serious news, five are female interest, five are sports, five are gadgets, et cetera. Uh, What's their scale? are their investors what's their revenue um, and roughly how much they're valued so you, you do a rough uh, market research uh, of asia and let's say there are 30 of them um i remember the enlightening moment the, the the pivot was after doing the market research we were very surprised to find that if there were 30 for example um, the first 27 were basically all losing money so it was that moment where you realized then why would i spend five years to create number 31 and we would still all lose money. So that's the, I guess, the pivot when we realize, okay, then maybe the digital media or the, you know, the so-called new media industry is just like the cable industry or the telecom industry 10, 20 years ago, where no matter what, you know, again, you know, Asia, most parts of the countries are just too small. Um, so the game is, you can be number one, you can be number three, but you know, if you run out of money and you're still number seven or number nine or number 11, uh, we're all gonna die then so why would I create number 31? So then the idea pivoted to, to, to become, okay, then maybe it's, t- it's time independent media started consolidating other independent media. So that was the pivot. So we decided at that point to, to go from one media brand to becoming a media group. And once we went from 7 million, 10 million, 12 million, 20 million, we started focusing on the next stage. Whereas, okay, we now have enough readership. Uh, it's now time to start thinking about revenues and uh, at, at some point after we had enough revenues it would start time to thinking about profits so there were three different stages uh, of the company's natural um, expansion so uh, we've done this basically uh, again nine times over the past four and a half years uh the good news is um we've never done this before either so all of this can actually be learned um you know you, you kind of go and, and learn as you go um so uh, as a startup we were about four and a half years old when we started this process Um, we we don't have an investment banking team there was no real professional you know a full-time advisory in the office you just kind of go as you go Um, so um, we will continue to do this probably uh, for the next three to five years on average uh, two uh, deals every year Um, on average it's been one media deal every year and one tech or data deal every year uh, because we want to get the readership scale from 50 to 70 to 90 million readers while well, at the same time we have to make sure hand in hand that the tech data and ai engineering capabilities to actually monetize uh these data points grow hand in hand as well so uh the, the flywheel or the uh, stupid general uh, example is it's very hard for media companies to make money very hard or too slow so we've been trying to acquire other complementary tech and data services that can allow them to connect With the media part of the business but make their services more precise more accurate The extra faster revenue that they create and the profits that they create We will reinvest in independent media and in a way protect independent media. So that's the pop, the positive flywheel uh, We've been building uh, over the past three or four years so um, I guess some uh, technical questions first. Uh, the, the, one of the most common questions I get is how do you value a target company? Well, uh, the good news is if you ask them, when was your last funding round? And if they had a funding round, you know, last year, then that's your basis point. Uh, technically, if they had a last funding round, it's not too hard. Uh, if they said, oh, we just closed uh, Angel round last year, we were worth one million at one, at $1 million monthly uniques, for example. Uh, and if they now have 1.2 million monthly uniques, then you kind of have an idea, then, you know, the valuation will grow in proportion. Uh, Usually, in my experience, the worst kind of negotiation is when they have never taken any funding whatsoever. They have no market comparable. They have no anchor to, 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 to discuss this negotiation. That's very, very difficult because you ask them, how much are you worth? Then they'll give you a crazy number, typically. Uh, typically, it's the two scenarios that are um, impossible to negotiate. One is if they've never taken money before, and two, it's when the founders are very, very rich themselves. It never works. Uh, because at some point, they will tell you, I don't care about money. Then you know this conversation is gone. Uh, if they don't care about money, they'll toss you a number, oh, I think we're worth 50 million. And you do the numbers, it's only worth 5 million, why 50 million? Uh, and they'll tell you a whole spiel for an hour about why we're worth 50 million, but none of it is actually based in, you know, reality or numbers. So if they have a recent fundraising round, uh, it's not too hard. Uh, If they have a comparable or industry valuation multiple, it's not too hard. So again, for example, if you're a tech media, and on average all of the world's tech medias trade on a 1 or 2x multiple of revenue, then you already have a rough range. Uh, you're somewhere between one to two x revenue so using comparables is also a very good idea or industry multiple uh evaluation multiple the three most common multiples to value a media business number one is sales so uh on average it could be anywhere between one to five x for example one to five x of revenue basically means if you're doing one million of revenue uh, then your company could be worth anywhere between one to five million usd depending on you know, how good you are uh, up and down. Sometimes it's, uh, it's based on EBITDA. So EBITDA is basically how much money we're making. Uh, media companies could be anywhere from 30 to 60X EBITDA, but 99% of the time we're all losing money anyway. So it's usually not a, uh, not a uh, uh, use of EBITDA. Uh, or it's a proxy. So what I mean by proxy, it's something to prove our scale, something to prove our growth over the past few years. And within most of the media industry, usually that proxy is monthly uniques. So you have 5 million monthly uniques, Uh, this person is worth 10 million, then it's a 2x multiple. If this person is 10 million monthly uniques, then you kind of have a rough ballpark. They're probably worth about 20 million USD, roughly like that. Okay, so how much cash and how much equity uh, do you offer them depends very much on whether or not you want the original founders to stay. So for most of our deals, uh, it's always roughly been one third cash, two thirds equity uh, because we want the original founders to stay. Because again, if we buy a tech media or sports media, media or gadget media, we originally did not have a sports gadget or tech editorial team. So the point was to buy other pieces, missing pieces of the puzzle uh, to add on to our uh, original piece of the, of the puzzle. So we want them to stay. So if you don't want them to stay, for example, then you can all be cash and uh, they can leave. But for us, it's usually a combination of the both. So. Uh, Just to use our first example, uh, Inside, uh, at that time, was the second largest tech media, kind of like the TechCrunch of Taiwan. This actually follows this formula. Uh, I met the founding team. Uh, I asked them what was their last round. Uh, Their last round was literally 1 million USD, and they were doing 1 million monthly uniques. So immediately, okay, that's about 1x monthly uniques. Then you ask them a year later, how many monthly uniques do you have? They have about 1.2 million monthly uniques and your all other of your metrics are more or less roughly the same then you can have an idea that the valuation is roughly 1.2 million then once you have the total price confirmed you actually ask them uh how much are you guys willing to accept uh, in terms of cash payment versus equity payment of course you know everyone will say we want the more cash as possible as the acquirer especially if we're also a startup ourselves we don't have that much cash. Uh, it's our goal usually to lower the cash as much as possible. So that, uh, in our experience, the fair offer is, you actually ask them in your company's five, eight, ten year history, what's the opportunity cost that all of your founders spent over the past seven or eight years? So in inside situation, there are four founders over eight years put in about 400,000 USD uh, in cash. The company's worth 1.2 million. So our offer to them literally was, okay, If you guys put in $400,000 in cash, that's your expense. We will offer you $400,000 in cash. So the mentality was, we will protect your downside uh, as an entrepreneur, but whether or not you will make any money, you know, uh, be really rich exits, we have no idea. The only way you will know is if you join us and allow us to merge you. And the remaining 0.8 million becomes equity swap, as in their shares are swapped to TNL shares and we merge to become one entity. So typically this works. Psychologically, again, eight or nine times, uh, all of our eight or nine founders uh, over the past few years are all still in the company. None of, none of the founders that we bought have left because psychologically, you know, we protected their downside. So as an, as an entrepreneur, at least they haven't failed, but whether or not everyone will make money together, we will have to see all the way until we exit or IPO together. Okay, so that's the point eight. Psychologically, it's roughly around one-third cash, two-thirds equity, because if you give them more than 51% cash, psychologically, they feel, you know, the company is already more or less sold. Uh, I can leave or quit or just be lazy uh, whenever I want. So one-third seems to be a good uh, uh, point or a reference point, at least for us. So I'm sure the key question is then, as a startup, uh, how do you get the money for the M&As? right? Uh, and the answer is, as a startup ourselves, our, you know, keep in mind, when we started doing this, we were only four and a half years old. Uh, we did not have any money. We did not have 400,000. We did not have 1 million or 2 million. So where to get the money for M&A? So uh, the tricky thing about this is, of course, it's through fundraising. Uh, we've done five rounds of fundraising over the past 10 years. So on average, uh, one, one round every two years. Uh, we plateaued out at around Series B. So around Series B, that was when the original TNL, was starting to plateau out. Taiwan was too small, Hong Kong was too small. So starting Series D, uh, uh, starting Series C, we started fundraising for the idea of buying other companies. Now it's very, very tricky to balance this because previous investors oftentimes are a little bit hesitant uh, to allow you to uh, to fundraise first because everyone gets diluted. So our way around this was that we actually buy the companies first. We buy the companies first, and then we fundraise at a much higher valuation. The existing investors uh, are happy because the pie is bigger um, and you get the money uh, to pay off for the previous acquisition. Many people's expressions here are very confused about this. Um, So I'll give you an example. Uh, Going back to inside. So the cost for this, this is just like math class, uh, is 1.2 million. Uh, I have to cough up 0.4 million in cash. As a media startup, I do not have 0.4 million in cash. Uh, if at that time TNL, let's say, was worth valued at $30 million, let's say, okay, um, and their valuation cost is 1.2 million. So logically, our cost is 30 million plus 1.2 million, okay. Uh, but when I go fundraise, I do not fundraise at 31.2 million. The, the combined story is bigger, it's a group now, uh, you try to persuade your new investors that, that the new group is now worth 50 million, for example. There, there's a premium for M&A, there's a p- premium for being a group. So what happens is, uh, this, this is actually real numbers, uh, we persuaded them to sign the deal January 1st, 2018. They moved into our offices January 2nd, 2018. And on January 3rd, we issued a huge press release that said for the first time in in, in Taiwan history, uh, independent media has started consolidating smaller independent media. And then based on that press release, we actually started fundraising. And we actually started fundraising not on 31.2 million uh, as a cost price. We fundraised at 50 million. So the the pie is much bigger. Your existing investors are very happy because your valuation is going up. Um, The catch of this is we still have to pay them 400,000 USD. So it's actually written in the contract that we had four months to pay them 400,000 USD. So we started fundraising in January. The deadline was basically April 1st. So we start fundraising. So you, you try to raise at least enough money to cover their 400,000 within 120 days. You get the money, you pay them off immediately. Okay, so it's almost like a leveraged buyout in that sense. You know, I remember very, 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 very well, uh, when we finally raised the money to pay them, the deadline, let's say, was April 1st. We were 10 days away from the deadline, okay? Um, so we got, let's say, a million dollars we quickly paid off uh, 400,000 to them, 100,000 to the lawyer fees or whatnot. We were 10 days away from bankruptcy. Okay, and we've done this nine times, uh, and each time gets bigger and bigger and bigger because the deal gets larger and larger and larger. The smallest deal was 1.2 million. Uh, the largest deal so far, just within Taiwan, was 18 million. So the cash we had to cough up was about 6 million. So you have four months to raise six million you know and then you have to persuade them to accept this uh, merge first and then you have four months uh, you know whatever comes in through your left hand goes out through your right hand within 120 days okay so that's how we did basically eight or nine of these deals the Japanese deal was the only exception because at that point they were so big and we were big enough that we persuaded that the Japanese deal was a pure merger it was a pure equity swap yeah I'm sorry so far, no, but it does get scarier and scarier, of course, because, you know, the, the, the size is getting bigger and bigger. Um, and fundraising is difficult, very difficult, especially during COVID, whenever there's a macroeconomic factor or, or, or whatnot. So we've been very, very close a few times, 10 days away from the deadline, five days away from the deadline, two days away from the deadline. But I've had five years to think about this and I still can't find a, bit, a better way. I mean di- disregard a better way I can still find another option again going back to our dilemma yeah both so first time we had no idea what we we're doing by the third fourth or fifth deal there's basically an operating process um, we know what multiple we're looking for we know what multiple we want to fundraise we know what we we're missing in terms of the next story and we kind of arbitrage with that and, of course, the, the, the numbers are an average of what's the market comp and what we're looking for. So by deals five or six, there's a formula to all this already. You know, um, oh, we now have sports. We're looking for female interest. We now have Chinese language. We're looking for Japanese. We now have Japanese. We're looking for uh, English language or looking for AI or engineers to boost our team. So there's a, there's a rough, almost like a supply chain blueprint of how this needs to grow. So, so for example, we, are, we already roughly know what our next Probably four acquisition targets are and we're trying to, to time them uh, according to good market timing uh, for a better price or a better cost. So it's, it, it's, it's uh, an art at first, but at some stage it does become a science, yes. Have you ever, um, have you ever targeted legacy me- media in the region? Uh, what are the upsides or downsides? Yeah, so the funny thing is, um, the first time that this happens, you know, everyone is kind of watching, but I remember very well by the third deal, um, there became this pattern where every time you, you announce a press release that, oh, you bought a tech media or a sports media, you'd be very surprised. The next day, 10 different media companies will email you saying, do you want to buy us? Um, and you had no idea out of these 10, for example, oh, these five were for sale. Oh, these five were not doing well oh, these five are actually looking for a buyer? So of, out of those 10, for example, yeah, oftentimes, sometimes they're legacy media players. And our, our short answer is we'll, we'll you know, keep in my, uh, an open mind and look at everything. But like I said, strategically, we have a rough idea of who we want to acquire next. Um, and again, there were, I think, during our third to fifth deals, a few legacy media players in either magazines or newspapers. We've traditionally always kind of shied away from that. Because again, we're you know, eight, nine, at that time, six years old. We have no experience in legacy, we have no experience in print. Uh, it's next to impossible for us to reverse uh, and merge or take over a legacy media operation. Uh, I think it would be too much trouble for us and it's not something we're, we're naturally good at doing. So there, of course there are offers, of course we'll look at it, but um, so far we've never pulled the trigger on legacy media before. Yeah, so, you know, this is like, you're leveraging more and more. I always call the investors that we take over. Uh, my in-laws. So within the company, that's my joke. Um, because when, we, w- when you equity swap with target companies, the funny end result is, their original investors become your investors. So in a, may- in a way, it's really kind of like a marriage. You know, you marry someone, and all of a sudden you, you gain a lot of in-laws. So, so because of the Japanese merger, for example, we now have 50 Japanese in-laws. Um, and you know, my half my day job is basically uh, trying to manage all of these different in-laws. Um, So to answer your question, yeah. So now you've kind of inherited so many of these different investors. Uh, At some point, everyone needs an exit, right? So um, let me finish the slide first and I'll answer your question. Uh, But again, uh, if this is something people are are thinking about, uh, in our case, I think this is the rough uh, principle that we should think about. So are you in a local market of which the ceiling is coming very, very soon? You know, uh, the market is too small. In in our experience, probably, if your home population has an online readership of less than 10 million, probably too small. Uh, Number two, have you taken outside investor money and you must achieve certain growth or scale in a certain period? So I don't know if most of you have heard, for professional VCs, PEs, or institutional investors, there's a so-called seven plus two. As in, when investors give you money, within seven to nine years, so let's say it's eight years on average, they have to see that as a return. So to your point, yeah, uh, we knew this going on because I think compared to most media startups, we took money relatively early. So uh, when we were taking money relatively early, in the back of our minds, we, we already knew, oh, in about eight to nine years' time, everyone needs an exit. Uh, then that means we get big enough that you know, we're sold or we get big enough that we IPO. Yeah, so we're actually aiming for an IPO next year. So you've promised enough people you know, the dream and sooner or later, you still have to deliver uh, on the dream. And that's also why they join you. If you think about it, you know, two-thirds of it is equity swap. So they expect that equity to be, you know, you know rewarded one day. It's your job to actually find that, um, that uh, equity option at the, at the very end. So number three, I think, is the most, probably the most direct or serious question we have to ask. As in, is your home market too small for you to achieve uh, operational break-even? So for us... Um, roughly around the time we were merging our second or third company companies um, personally i made this decision that it would be too slow uh, definitely for the original core serious news business to break even Uh, even if it did it would be your classic mom-and-pop shop where oh you know every year your your monthly revenues would be this much your expenses would be this much so you have to cut expenses just to break even and you're never going to grow beyond that so Taiwan is too small. Again, Hong Kong is too small. Singapore is too small. So if your home market is so small that it has a very little chance of allowing your original serious news or journalism product to actually break even, then we have to find another way. And for us, our finding another way was through acquisitions. Uh, so I often very cynically say sometimes, you know, uh, after looking back at this over the past five years, I don't think we had a choice I honestly can't think of a better option, uh, even though I had five years to think about this now. I honestly think this was the only way for us to kind of break through uh, in terms of this plateau. So, yeah, four and five are the same. Uh, is the original media business basically unable to provide the sales and profits necessary for long-term growth? So again, the biggest hint for me was going back to that 30 you know, uh, media companies uh, in Asia. 30 of them at that time, 27 of them were losing money. So if 27 of them are losing money then from a pure financial standpoint that means this market is so small that it can only naturally sustain three companies then the the name of the game all of a sudden becomes how do i if i'm number five how does number five buy number seven buy number nine and at the very end we're within the top three and then we can self-sustain but if we run out of money if everyone runs out of money and we're still only number four number seven number ten we're all gonna die so the game becomes how do we achieve scale together and don't create number 31 okay so if most of the answers to the above questions are yes then MA is probably a serious option for us to break through our limited market size of which we had no choice uh, from the beginning um, and again the very cynical part of me actually thinks it might be the one of the very few options or maybe the only option uh, in this day and age of you know self-media, Instagram, YouTubers, KOL, there are too many people uh, taking two remaining tiny chunks of media budgets of which 80% are all taken by Facebook and Google. So we have to fight for the final 10% and it's not enough to sustain 30, 40, 50 different media operations. Then logically I guess the only way is then how do we grow to a certain scale of which we can actually you know, control our fate. Um, and once you control a certain scale of your team, you can build a data team, an AI team, a MarTech team, um, and then you, know, you have a much more uh, a strong narrative for other people to join you. So I guess the, fi- the final point is, uh, on a bright side, maybe this is not very special, maybe this is not unique. You know, maybe the digital media industry is just like the cable industry, is just like the telecom industry, where every industry during a a middle phase, a chaotic phase, has to go through this, and we're going through it right now. So in many ways, maybe we're not special at all. We're simply going through a normal market consolidation phase, uh, except we just try try this first. Uh, And so far, we're still learning as we go. Uh, Then if that's the case, then logically, you will see more and more media consolidation in Hong Kong, in Singapore, in Japan, or across Asia, Um, and that's a natural evolution uh, of this industry. Okay, that's my last slide. So yeah, I still have a few minutes. Any questions, please? Hiya, um, other than the valuation that you laid out in terms of when you're considering acquiring a media company, are there any other considerations that you look at, specifically audience-based considerations? Thanks. so uh, first and foremost, the original DNA was independent media, no junk, no fluff. So that's still the same idea when we acquire other media companies. It can't be too far away from that. It can be tech news, gadget news, but it can't be, you know, content farms or junk content. So the DNA has to mold. Um, So to be honest, whenever we're acquiring other media companies, I actually take it to our editorial team and say, these are the three targets I'm looking for. Uh, Veto out the ones that you're not interested in. Uh, and if you, for example, this one, this one is the highest quality, but it's the second largest, not the first largest, I will respect our editorial team. So oftentimes I want to buy the largest, but if they think there's something wrong with their content or it's not respectful, there's you know, uh, plagiarism issues, we can veto off the first one and go after the second one. So that's in terms of media. So the media still has to be someone you're very proud to merge with. It has to fit your original DNA. Um, at, at a certain point, after you've achieved enough scale in media, your second stage of acquisitions are revenue. So I'm looking for other business models that are complementary to digital media that by merging with them will allow them to make money faster. And when they make money faster, again, we will take the profits and reinvest and protect independent media. So I would say there are three different stages of the criteria. For the first stage, we did not care about revenue. We did not care about profits. Uh, For the first stage, um, it was all about media scale. We were buying monthly uniques. On the second stage, once we had a certain amount of monthly uniques, we were buying revenue. And on the third stage, once we had enough revenue, we were actually buying profits. So it just depends on what was missing during that time. Uh, So for example, very, very very simple example right now. Again, uh, I mentioned we're aiming for IPO next year. So you have to align up your scale, your revenue and your EBITDA. So the criteria now when we're looking for companies is that company itself has to be profitable. We're not going to buy a company that's losing money now because we spent the last three or four years cleaning up our financials. We don't want to actually go backwards. But this was not the case three years ago. We could have bought anyone. Uh, we didn't really care if they're losing money. We were buying scale at that time. So different moment, different stages. You know, different targets. Revenues. Could you say a bit more about that? Um, for sales or for monthly uniques, for example. Uh, sales. sales, sales, sales. Right. Okay. Uh, well, the short answer is that's just the market average comps. So, you know, it could be all investment bankers will give you 30 different examples of all of the public, you know, media companies and they're all trading at, oh, you know, 5x revenue for example, when for example, uh, New York Times buys a company in uh, 3 years ago, they might have, you know, paid more and it was 8x revenue. Or some transaction might have happened in Asia during a downtime last year and that transaction total price over revenue was 3x revenue. So, The the, the point is, when you're doing this research, uh, you will have a range. And everyone's looking at the same uh, same companies. So there will be a natural range. It's anywhere between 1 to 5 or 2 to 4x within that market, within that industry, for example. So that you don't control. What you do control is whether or not it's a good market or a bad market. So that range uh, in a bad market could be 1x. Uh, In a good market, it could be 5x. Listed valuations in media are, say, uh, P, a PE of uh, maybe ten times, right? Yeah. So that's EBITDA, right? PE. Well, uh, no. Uh, price to equity. I mean, price to uh, price to uh, profits or uh, profits to uh, equity. Right? Yeah, typically, media companies don't want to use EBITDA because no one is making that much money. So typically, we always try to argue revenue multiple. Revenue multiple is a better story. It, it, it implies future growth. EBITDA kind of implies you're kind of stuck here, you know, and you know, everyone's gonna do one or 2% EBITDA. So typically, the argument is always for uh, revenue multiple. Um, so we try to go after that. Um, d- does that answer your question? So yeah. So, um, but as you get more and more dynamic, it, it, it becomes an average of different things. So for example, when investment bankers are, are uh, valuing us, we're not solely digital media comps anymore. Since our revenue now is, again, one-third digital media, one-third tech data, and one-third, let's say, e-commerce, then literally, they take, they, they take the average uh, multiple of media times one-third, the average uh, value, uh, multiple for e-commerce times one-third, and the average comps uh, multiple for AI or tech times one-third, and you average out uh, a rough multiple uh, during that, 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 that time. And they'll actually tell you, oh, this is a bad time, so it's actually at a 30% discount. In a good time, it's higher. So yeah, there's always a range. I'm very curious to know what kind of uh, internal corp dev team size do you have, and what is the ratio of outbound deal making towards inbound deal making? Outbound deal? As in, do you guys actively go out and seek deals, or do you receive inbound? from bankers, et cetera? Yeah. Um, we don't really have a corp dev team. Uh, I do 90% of all the deals. Um, I, I have two, I guess, research assistants that do the market research. And we have like a list of, by, by this point, we probably looked at over 100 Asian uh, companies across digital media, tech, data, e-commerce, everything. So in the back of my office now, there's like a 200 page list of all the different media companies or all the different tech and data companies, what they're worth, what their sales, who their investors are, everything. And we, and we refresh that you know, every six months. So my staff helps me do the research. Um, and out of the, let's say 100, oh, 10 fit the direction that you're going for. You would love that data? Love that data? Okay, if, come find me afterwards. Um, um, and so let's say out of those 10 uh, are, are the ones that we're interested in, we just simply usually send them an email, or LinkedIn, or or sometimes we meet at these events. Um, At some point, you know, the media circle in Asia is not that big. Everyone knows everyone. So even if you come across a company that we've never encountered before, let's say in Hong Kong or Singapore, usually you call someone and someone will make the intro. Uh, So for example, the Japanese company that we merged with, we had never met them before. Um, I was actually going after another target company. And during a Zoom call with that Japanese company, uh, he politely said no, but then said, oh, but the kind of target that you're looking for sounds very similar to this company called Media Gene. I would be happy to make an intro. And so you never know, you really really never know. Uh, But if you have a rough direction that you're going for, you kind of know how to kind of time this um, and just see kind of what hits basically. Sorry, less finance talk, but in terms of how do, you, how do you ensure that when you merge or do an equity swap, that the culture of these different companies are still intact? Because I know that can quickly uh, drain down the team, which is also part of the evaluation. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the companies within Taiwan. They're a little bit easier. Uh, we've done eight acquisitions in Taiwan. Um, the first six were small enough that they all moved to our offices. So that's typically... Solves 70% of the problems. So the overall policy of integration is Anything that allows us to make more money together We will integrate so for example the sales team typically in our experience the people that are happiest are the sales team and the uh, IT team uh, Of that original let's say it's a media company Because if their sales team was originally part of a very small media vertical they could only sell 1 million monthly uniques uh, in a tech media or in a gadget media, for example. But once the, tech, the, the sales team is completely integrated, the sales team is very, very happy because all of a sudden you go from 1 million monthly uniques to 20 million monthly uniques. You know, your bonuses go up. Your playground, your arsenal is much bigger. Same thing for the uh, tech team. Typically the tech team is also very, very happy because you are maintaining one small website before. And now the tech team is integrated you, you have eight different, you know, nine different media brands to actually maintain, create data products, create UI, UX products, it's a lot more fun. So the policy is anything that allows us to make more money together or save more money together, we will integrate. Anything that makes, makes no difference, or for example, we have no expertise, we will keep independent. So all the other media companies that we acquired, their editor in chief and their editorial team is still completely the same. We've never touched them. In fact, um, one of the most common compliments, to me it's a compliment, is when we're meeting other companies and we give them our name cards and they'll look at our name cards and they'll say, oh, for example, Inside. And uh, the other person will say, oh, I've been reading Inside for eight years. I had no idea you guys bought them. Uh, from my standpoint, that's actually a compliment because we never touched, we never uh, interfered with the editorial independence. So the idea is, you know, at some point, there might be 30, 40, 50 different verticals on top. It's like different trees. you know. Uh, your readers are still the same, that they don't feel that there, there's any difference. Maybe your content quality is even better now. But uh, in the bottom, all of the tech and data monetization is integrated. So everyone makes more money faster and saves more money faster. And typically that solves 70, 80% uh, of the problems. The two companies that we acquired that were too big uh, to merge into our office, we definitely have more integration issues uh, because they kind of feel like you know, they're Hawaii they're like really far away Um, and we have to run over uh, every week Uh, even in their tone they still say you versus us Uh, even though we completely own them but they have a separate office so as quickly as possible we want to move offices together to kind of solve this Uh, but uh, again uh, our, our learning is if you create the value in terms of monetization if you create the value in terms of saving money and for the founders if again don't forget for the founders uh, Two thirds of their entire value as an entrepreneur is tied to our stock together, to IPO together. They will help you solve problems because they don't want to see the integration process become too chaotic either. Okay, I guess my time is up. But anyway, I'm still here if you're having questions. Thank you. This is Place.